I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. So this episode, we wanted to tackle a topic that's been, I think, on the back burner of the early education show for quite a while, which is the, for some reason, very controversial topic of celebrations in early education centres. I think, Lisa, we've we sort of talked about this on and off for probably, uh, I don't know, Lisa, I think, I think I actually wanted to talk about it around this time last year, but I think we just had different things on the agenda, but... Um, uh, We've got. Um, we'll, we're going to have a chat today, Lisa, and then we'll be going to go to an interview you recorded uh, with Leanne as well, because Leanne just can't join us for this discussion. Um, but why don't we start with the first sort of obvious question before we sort of get into the nitty gritty of of celebrations? Why do you think, in the early ed- education sector, this this concept of celebrations, particularly as we approach you know uh, the big one, I think, which is Christmas, why is that so sort of contested? Why is this such a hot button issue in the sector? I think it's a few things. I think mostly it's because celebrations are inherently political. So what you have is different people's politics coming up, um, you know, as uh, every time they consider celebrations so that there's those that, you know, believe some celebrations are, are more inherently more um, acceptable than others are. But I think it's also because uh, the sector never, like, it doesn't, It you know, very few centres have celebration policies. Very few sectors, very few educators have actually fully thought this through before it suddenly hits them. I tested this by asking um, a friend of mine who's an educator just before I came on air, so tell me, you know, what celebrations do you engage in, what ones do you don't? And she started off by saying, oh, we don't do any because, you know, it's it's too hard, there's too many of them, etc." And then when I unpicked it with her, she actually does quite a lot, but they're not the mainstream ones. And I think that's something that a lot of people are a bit confused about. You know, they, they've they made a stance on one part of celebrations but not on others. So I think it's something where we actually as a sector need to have a lot more critical and reflective thought. You can never have enough critical and reflective thought, Lisa. True. Yeah. Um, what What do you reckon? Yeah, do I, you I agree with me? absolutely. I reckon I agree. I, I actually think this is this is such a fascinating topic, and I love the fact that whatever we end up, I, I had a good pun for the title of this episode, and we'll see whether it made through the editorial process. But uh, once people see we're going to be talking about celebrations, I'll be fascinated to see the reaction because this seems to be a topic that is uniquely able to divide and the sector and get people really defensive. And I'm kind of fascinated uh, by that. And it's interesting. I, I've, I've already, uh, through the magic of editing, I've, I've heard the interview conducted with Leanne and Leanne was, as usual, very diplomatic, very generous in her thinking, very optimistic. I'm probably going to strive to be slightly more controversial. So at least we have that view uh, tonight. But I think that's more or less what we always that's do. That's pretty much what we always do. And Leanne's not here to rein me in. So anything could happen. Um, the, I actually think that there's so many layers to, I think, why this is so contested. I think some of it is around, 
I think it really strikes at people's identity. So we, we talk in the Early Years Learning Framework and a range of educational curriculums talk about the importance of a sense of identity for children. We don't often talk too much about a sense of identity for educators. And I think for a lot of educators, uh, the the notion of the celebrations they're undertaking are really, they, they hold them really close to their heart. And I always think about that when I when I challenge the idea of celebrations, which I do, is that you are, it's not just about that you're necessarily challenging a pedagogical practice, because I, I, I think people don't view it through that lens. We're gonna, I think we're going to dig into that concept later. But I don't, th- I don't think people view celebration through a pedagogical lens. I think they view it through an identity lens. Um, I think that's one reason it's why it's so it, it, it's able to sort of spark firestorms of Facebook posts and all those different kinds of things. Um, the other one, I th- well, one of the multi-layered reasons I think this is so contested is that it's really the celebrations we have are often really baked into service cultures and community cultures. So if you ask people why they do particular uh, celebrations or whether or why they do particular celebrations and why they do those celebrations in a particular way, um, not just Christmas necessarily, but even things like Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation ceremonies at the end of the year. The answer isn't because there's any been you know there's been thought around. Well, here's what the children are learning out of it, or here's what the here's how we're linking to the OILF. It's because that's the way we've always done it. So when I started here, you know, the team before me did that. When 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 I became the director, I just had to follow on. It, it so they're they're often quite embedded in service cultures and challenging those cultures with existing teams. I think is a real challenge for people. It's far easier for people to say go along to get along. So we do what we've always done because that's what we've always done. So I think challenging those notions of the the how entangled it is with people's identity and uh, and then really challenging service cultures around this is the way we've always done it. I think. Um, I think is a big part of it. Another reason I think I'm, I'm steamrolling this podcast, Lisa. Sorry, but I promise this will be the last reason. Go ahead. I just wanted ahead. to do more than two, no. so I wasn't accused of stealing your thunder. <laughs> I do think there's part of it. The uh, and this is so I'm going to be an equal, I'm going to be equally opportun- I'm going to be equal opportunities controversial today because I think there'll be people listening to this who'll hear my views and celebrations who'll accuse me of being a crazy social justice lefty progressive fun crusher, which I most certainly am, by the way. I will wear that with pride, but. <laughs> The, what, the one of the problems is the lefty progressive socialist, uh, socialist social justice fund crushers are also, I think, pretty bad at how they go about talking with educators about this. I think I think there's a huge defensive reaction from people because a lot of people put themselves up on a particular high horse around this stuff. And instead of talking with people about why particular celebrations are embedded or why they're important to people, really, again, that notion of identity, I think there's this sort of takedown culture, which is, I can't believe you're doing that or how dare you do that. Um, And look, I'm sure I've been victim of this in the past myself. I always try and be thoughtful uh, in how I do it. But I think people can hold those views. But I think we need to think really carefully about how we engage with people who, who conduct uh, these things in different ways than us and make sure we're trying to you know have a dialogue with people rather than just trying to shut people down and remembering that we have to engage in these as processes of discussion stating where we come from but talk a bit about talking through people so I do think there's this kind of almost backlash effect where people sort of see that you know see, see the approach of how these things are done and really react badly to it I agree absolutely with you there I see that online Line all the time that certain people are, yeah, they, they want to set themselves up as the ones with the right position, and other people want to immediately attack them because they're feeling threatened because it's against their position. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we should always remember that people, you know, with with very, very few exceptions, no one is turning up to work with young children wanting to do the wrong thing or wanting to, um, you know, not, uh, not, not, um, you know, do things that may, you know, not be the best way of doing things. People are doing the best they can with the resources and 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 communities and services they have. Uh, and but it also Liam, with the knowledge that they have. And I want to give you credit for something that you taught me many years ago after you wrote something up about Christmas. And I'd never thought about the fact that it's such a busy season for children. And that maybe services should set themselves up as a haven of respite from that busyness, from that rushing to do 20 million things that happens to families in lead up to Christmas. And so I think that we also need to think about the importance of educating each other about what the impact of different things could be, both pedagogically and just you know, emotionally on children as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was joking to you before we hit record, Lisa, that I was feeling really um, uh, a bit egotistical and arrogant that in my research for this um, this episode, I had to, I went back and read that article I wrote. I did write that about four years ago. I think we'll have it in the uh, links. But it's I'd read it too, and it's still it's still. I'm pretty happy. I stands bet. the t- test of time. Yeah, I think I still. I, there's not much I wrote four years ago that I still agree with, but I'm actually kind of happy with that <laughs> as a as a as a as a uh, as a marker point for where I stand, and that. So we'll include a link to that. But this is particularly around Christmas but I think I'm, I'm I, that I think it applies for a for a wide um, uh, uh, sort of slew of celebrations I might I might even just quickly summarize my kind of points there because I think Christmas in particular as I sort of said before I think is a real marker point for people and people get very defensive and um, the points I tried to make here and um, I helpfully I helpfully did a list of points which is very helpful as you get back to lo- uh, to, to looking at it so my key points and I think you can apply all of these points to a variety of other celebrations as well. So approaching it from just a perspective of thinking about um, how and why we conduct these celebrations. What my issues with them are, one, is it's by default. So it's just something where the kind of the calendar ticks over to December and we just do these things without thinking, well, why are we doing them? What are we actually planning for children to learn? Now, there'll be people listening to the go, absolutely we do and we do, um, you know, uh, we, we do drawings and all those kind of things and we link it to the OILF and... Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be services in it where that's that that's happening in a particular way, but that's not my experience has been that you know the same cutout craft emerges, the decorations get put up, um, children you know do cards to to people, all those kind of things, and they are they are by default. So I think we should always question things that are by default, whether they're celebrations or not. Um, the other one is that it, it it's really limiting for me. So there are there are so many other things we could be exploring and and investigating, you know, during that time, during December. There's so many other things we could be looking at. But what Christmas tends to overwhelm everything in services. You walk into a service and it's like Santa's grotto all of a sudden, and that seems to be the only thing that people are thinking about or engaging with in a pedagogical perspective. And then the other one was, which I think. Uh, the point uh, you mentioned for the pieces, it's really, it's overwhelming. It just kind of takes um, takes over everything. And my point was, uh, it's not, and, and and I prefer this at the start of the article by saying, I like Christmas. We celebrate it at home with our, with our children. I'm not trying to ban Christmas. We shouldn't be, outright bans should always be challenged because that's, you know, the, we should always be discussing these from a critical perspective. But Christmas is just, in particular, is just so overwhelming. It centers the the planning starts in November. You have all this stuff happening, you know, through an entire month. And I kind of just wish 
imagine if we applied that kind of thinking to other things. Like imagine if we, you know, NADOC week was, you know, was taken that seriously and it was a month of celebration and engagement and, and acknowledgement, you know, International Day of the Girl Child, you know, things like that. We, we, it's not just that Christmas is celebrated, it's that it overwhelms everything else. And what are we missing out on by sort of turning over, you know, our entire curriculum, our entire planning for an entire month, you know, for, for um, you know, one particular event? And then, which we're going to have to get into as another section of this conversation, what message does that send to people who don't celebrate Christmas, who that's not part of their community and their culture? So they were, they were the key issues for me and, um you know, I've had lots of people disagree. This is the article that most that I still get feedback on. Four years later, um, people will have. You know, it, it is the it's the fun crushing. It's the why can't we just you know celebrate fun things? And and I I get that perspective, but the yeah, it is the idea that we just it just it overwhelms everything. No one can really tell me what children are learning from it beyond the fact that. It's sort of the the most common response I get is it reflects the community, and I go, well, it reflects some of the community. It doesn't reflect all of the community, and even if that were the case, I don't think we need to do that, you know, for an entire month. I agree absolutely. You convinced me, Elaine. <laughs> it might have been an easy uh, target audience with you, Lisa. <laughs> no, it wasn't because it was it was just something. Remembering that I'm not an educator, it wasn't something I'd ever considered. But I went back to what it was like for my children when they were young. And I thought, yeah, they mm. would have really liked some time yeah. out space in that. Yeah. Do you know the the only other thing, the only other extra point I would now add to that article if I rewrote it today um, would be um, uh, it would, it, this is literally, as I've just said that, the other, the, the point I was just about to make has, has popped, has popped out of my head. Yeah, you. I'm sure it'll come back to you. Let me ask you another question. What framework do you think that educators could use to determine how they'll approach celebrations? It's a fascinating question. I don't know. I don't know if there's a single framework. So the problem with this, and this is another thing that I think infuriates educators who um, who are thinking about these things and who are maybe being challenged either online or in their communities around this stuff, is. I don't think there's a right or wrong approach. So, you know, all I can talk about is my perspective as, you know, a, a, you know, a, a person, you know, a fairly privileged, well-off person who, you know, has time to sit around and pontificate about these things. I think the framework we should always start with, ironically, with the early's learning framework. So if we're going to talk about a framework, we should at least start there and then go out into further ideas. But, you know, the framework asks us to consider a few different things. It asks us to consider things holistically. So not just, you know, having a, a wider view of why we do what we do and not just doing things because that's the way we've always done them. We should always challenge that point of view. The other really important thing, and this is where we can get into the concepts of um, social justice, which I know um, I'm not an expert on, but and, but I know that I think that that particular perspective challenges people. But the early years learning framework asks us to consider who is advantaged and who is disadvantaged when we I work. Was, in I was yeah. going to say exactly the same. Yes, yeah. and our, our, our good friend Dr. Scarlett will uh, would have, would not be happy if we didn't mention that uh, excellent part of the framework, but. Who is advantaged and who is disadvantaged when we work in particular ways? That, that, that is a question we have to ask. Now, it doesn't mean you – know, what I think people sometimes interpret that as, well, we can't do anything. And to me, that's not the point. It's not saying we can't do something, but we at least need to know why we're doing it. And there may be a particular reason that we're doing something that may disadvantage a particular group of children, a particular child or a group of children. But if at least we've taken the process to think, well, this is why we're doing it and we're going to try and put something in place to address the inequities we've developed – because you know services can't be paralyzed into doing nothing because that's that disadvantages children as well but 
it's but what it's about saying is that the process of going through that question will help services um, at least think about the particular ways they're doing things. And I can, I can, I, and I'm, I'm hoping that the, the person involved will be happy with me sharing this story. Um, uh, and people may know her, Alicia Flatcone. She's done a lot of work in, in in the social justice and early childhood group, and does a lot of fantastic advocacy for children outside of early education as well. And she did one of the best approaches I've seen this in December um, at a centre we used to work at together. Um, this was probably about ten years ago now, uh, scarily enough. But she she was really challenging this idea from a social justice perspective about why we let one celebration dominate everything else. So through the month of December, she she had a display in the foyer of the centre, which 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 highlighted in sort of equal measure um, every celebration that they could find that was happening throughout December. Um, so there were, yes, Christmas was there, but so was Aid and, and a bunch of other um, celebrations that were happening in, in different observances during the, uh, the during that month. Um, and it wasn't overwhelming and it was sort of this, this place that children could come and ask questions and families could be involved in. And I've always sort of held that up as a way of saying, you know, Lisa, uh, uh, Alicia had really thought about who was advantaged or disadvantaged by particular practices and trying to address those and have those acknowledged and celebrated in, a, in an equal way. And I think that's, you know, that's one really great approach I've seen to sort of tackling that particular <coughs> time of the year. I agree, Lim, but I think that, that um, who's advantaged by this needs to be expanded outside from outside of the sector um like outside of you know children and the sector but the celebration itself so when you think about celebrations like melbourne cup when you think about celebrations like football when you uh, football grand finals etc i think you need to look at who does that actual action um, a, a privilege and who who doesn't it. So in the form of the Melbourne Cup, you'd say, well, surely no one's privileged by that, you know. But it does. It's all about gambling. So therefore, who is privileged by gambling, you know, and you'd have to say gambling companies that make money out of it, who is disadvantaged by that, and you'd have to say, the families who have mothers or fathers who become victims of you know, gambling addiction. So therefore, it then becomes when you think about children who are in families, you know, where <clears throat> the food money is regularly gambled, then it becomes very hard to support that one. You know, you could also say, well, yeah, it's also, you know, using horses, animals, you know, it doesn't privilege the animals. And if you look at things like Anzac Day, you know, which for some people is an absolute, we must celebrate this, we must acknowledge this, we must, you know, recognise what our forebears did to it. Whereas for me, I think about who is privileged through war and who is, you know, disadvantaged by it and the privilege goes to the war armaments manufacturers and the disadvantage goes to the people that are ultimately wounded or injured by wars. And I think that, you know, the soldiers whose actions that we're celebrating are ultimately just, you know, foot soldiers in a, in a much bigger, um, you know, battle than their own. And so 
I could never willingly celebrate Anzac Day, but I'm sure... Actually, I didn't ask Leanne about that, but I know it's something that she celebrates each year and always goes to the dawn ceremony, whereas to me it's like, whoa. And I think that generally the framework that I'd use is, first of all, you know, is it good for children or bad for children in the centre? Secondly, is it good or bad for children, you know, outside of the centre? Thirdly, is it, is it a real part of our community? Is it important to our community or not? And fourthly, is it, is it something that impacts on, on, you know, um, on children as a whole? I think maybe I've already said that one, so maybe both of us are losing our mind tonight. You, just, you just insisted on having one more thing than I had, so I listed three. <laughs> you had to list four. No, I, I completely agree with that, Lisa. And the way I would – and actually that, that what you were saying there was a perfect segue for me remembering the fourth thing I would have added to, to my, yeah. to my uh, piece, so thank you for that. Um, it is – it's asking the question – and this actually, I think, this question, I think, is a better way maybe for certain services and certain educators to think about these ideas is, is this celebration more about children or more about educators? So is it actually educators that want to celebrate these particular things in different ways? And I think that's where in particular um, now... Christmas has become very child-focused, I think, due to commercialism and a whole range of issues, which we probably, you know, that even, even just that concept of commercialism, we probably don't have time to touch on tonight. But if we're thinking about particular things like the Melbourne Cup and Anzac Day, now I have particularly strong views on the Melbourne Cup and I, um, you know, I do struggle to sometimes maintain um, my diplomatic and and uh, nice approach to that because I, I exactly said I cannot... Hang on, I, hang on. Uh, Liam, are you telling me you've got a diplomatic I and nice approach? I certainly do. When when talking directly oh. with educators, I will always try and do that. But I think but I, <laughs> for the life of me, I cannot think of a good reason to engage in that in, in in that practice with children, given what we know happened to the horses, given what we know is about gambling and the conduct of the adults who are involved in the Melbourne Cup, I cannot think of a good reason. Anzac Day is another incredibly controversial one, but my question would be, well, is the is the acknowledgement of these events more important for the educators and the children? Because then I think we're having a different discussion. Then the discussion doesn't have to be about, well, how are we celebrating this as a centre and how are the children involved? It may be that, well, if this is something that's important to the educator team, then maybe there needs to be a look at how that is acknowledged in a particular way. Now, I uh, I have complicated feelings about Anzac Day. I've never talked to them about Leanne either. Um, I It's not something I would go out of my way to engage and, and celebrate with. I've been to dawn service as a child. Um, my dad served in the army for quite a while. Um you know, they probably I'd probably need a therapist to get me through some of my feelings on, on some of those ones. But <laughs> I you know I've already spoken to the Melbourne Cup, but I absolutely acknowledge that for many uh, educators and, and and teachers, it may be a particularly important thing to do. But my question would be: Is there a need to involve children in that? Because the other thing that I think is worth um, thinking about here is that concept of of things being meaningful to children. And I think the the, the where I would turn a great example of that for me is graduation ceremonies for um, for children, which we kind of see pop up now and again. I've I've always got a suspicion this practice isn't as widespread as we kind of think it is. I think we see occasional examples, people leap on them. I understand why people are doing that. Oh them. no, no, I could be wrong. So yeah, we we should we should In always New South Wales at least oh. it's pretty endemic. So look, we should always start from the premise of that 
the people and services who are doing that. Um, and and I should be really clear here. Well, the, the the specific graduation practice I'm seeing here is where children, you know, wear little capes and gowns and the little hats and the little um, and get a little diploma or whatever it is. That to me, the people involved in that are genuinely, I think, trying to acknowledge at an important moment for children. So we should always start from that premise. I disagree with that with that approach, but I I I understand that no one is there coming going. You know, I'm just going to be terrible and. You know, and then Liam's going to disagree, disagree with this and whatever. But what I think the, I think we've lost the concept there of the of whether this 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 is for children or for adults, and whether it's meaningful or not. So, what I've seen, I've seen some amazing practices in services services I work with. You know, um, you know, in my in my work at the moment, who do an end of year celebration at the end of a year. There's no Christmas party and there's no end of year graduation. But what there is is there's a celebration of children's work and achievement throughout the year. Now, the problem with a graduation ceremony that is like a little mini version of an adult one is that's about taking an adult experience that is meaningful for an adult and trying to kind of shrink it down and make it cute and and sort of pretend that that's meaningful for children. The idea of wearing a gown and a mortar board and getting a diploma, all, you know, all of those things have specific you know, meanings for adults and they've developed over periods of time from universities and high schools and those particular things. They're not meaningful for children. But a celebration of their work, their artwork throughout the year or uh, quotes from children as they engage in learning, that to me is a meaningful way to engage in a really positive thing, which is celebrating children's achievement throughout the year. No one can disagree. That's not a worthwhile thing to do. And also just celebrating the transition from early education to education. You know? like that's well, it's all education, a fa- just to be clear. Yeah, but that's fairly a major stepping stone yeah. for parents as well. And I think it's important to acknowledge that for parents. Yeah. Know? yeah. One of the things that I think um, is important is if you look at about, I don't know, around 20 years ago, 25 years ago maybe, it was the first time in Australia generally and in early education services, I think, around that time, people can correct me if I've got the time wrong, when people um, started to say, hey, not everyone is Christian, so therefore should we look at celebrating other religions, holy days, much like we celebrate Christianity. And I think the, the sector is generally really good at doing that now. They may do some of those in a tokenistic way, but I think if you're essentially in a, for example, you know, a Jewish community, then your service isn't going to be celebrating Christmas as much as some of the Jewish holidays. And I think that's really good and should be, you know, um, acknowledge that that's what the sector does. But I think there's a real desire from some people in the sector now that those things that the people in the left side of politics have decided is bad, are bad, like Anzac Day, like um, uh, Melbourne Cup Day, like, um, yeah, you know, they're the two that leap. Well, even Mother's Day and Father's Day because they, um, you know, all of those celebrations kind of reinforce um, uh, dominant norms, etc. And so the left is kind of going, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't have these. Then I think um, the danger is is that we just take all celebrations out 
of the sector and we say, well, you know, we'll only do the ones that we think are really interesting, like, you know, um, World Earth Day or something, rather than saying, no, we actually need to look at each one in our community and think about our community and our children and what happens. Does that make sense? Like- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you've hit on one of the strongest critiques of this approach. Um, there's a couple of things I would, I think I would think there. One is a deliberately controversial and provocative statement, but one, one thing would be why, why is it the sector's job to mark all these celebrations? So that's actually, actually a question I put to us. So if we look at all the various things, so Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, or whatever, why, why is it actually in our, why is it actually in our job descriptions to be marking these for children and families? Why can we not just leave that to but, children but and their families? Educate, you know, like primary schools do it as well. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things primary schools do that I don't think are right. And I think they've got far more to learn from early education than the other way around. But that's... Liam, the one thing that I think about that is that humans, are, you know, humans are fairly unique in terms of species in that we've we've developed these things called celebrations, you know. They're important for us, Yeah. And some celebrations can be really meaningful, you know. In some communities they have, you know, wonderful celebrations as children age between, you know, um, hit puberty and and things like that. You know, every child likes to celebrate their birthday and they like to celebrate it with their friends. They want to be seen as special in in their early education service as much as in their families. So I think it is the sector's job to establish celebrations for that community because celebrations can be wonderful things. But I don't think it's the sector's job to mark every celebration just because it exists. Yeah, and that and that's where the question becomes about which one. So birthdays are a classic example. So the majority of centres being open these days are what, you know, 120, 150 plays. You're going to be having a birthday every day of the year. At what point do we go, you know what, maybe this is actually the responsibility of this child's family to acknowledge this particular thing. We can, I, I look, I, I don't want to get too derailed by this, but I've deliberately raised this as a provocative, I think, statement. But I do think it's something that we should at least consider is that is one solution to this is that, and, you know, people will have heard your statement earlier before about this service has just decided to stop doing celebrations. I actually have some sympathy with that view because part of me would go, educators are busy enough. I would rather we focused on a few meaningful celebrations that are about what's happening in the service with those children. And if there are particular cultural, religious, whatever celebrations that are important to that child, do them at home. Um, I actually think that that's far more important for, for that to be organised. And, and this is another thing, and I know we talked about this in our recent episodes on centre directors being overworked, um, and, and another one I, can, I can't remember is the amount of things the sector puts on itself to take responsibility for. I actually just think we need to challenge and go, well, where does it actually say that we need to be running these ma- these major events for this particular um, community? But and the second thing I kind of think about this is kind of taking it back to where we we're talking about before. So that question you were asking Lisa about, you know, what celebrations do and don't we celebrate, which is a legitimate question from the sector. So again, we're raising a lot of complexity here. So it's in, that's an entirely reasonable point of view. So beyond my, you know, deliberately provocative point of let's do nothing and see and, and maybe say actually, do you know what, do that yourselves, people. The, the my answer to that I think is the, the same answer I gave a bit before, which is kind of going back to the idea of saying um, why. 
why do we want to do them? Is there a reason this is valuable to the particular community of children, families and educators we have? Another question might be, is this a celebration that's more about educators than children? And maybe can we think about a different way of celebrating it? But then going back again to ask that question, is who is disadvantaged and who is advantaged when we work in a particular way? Now, everything we do is complex. So someone will be disadvantaged by what we do and someone will be advantaged. There's not saying if, if, if one person is disadvantaged, we don't do it. It's about saying we've gone through a process of acknowledging that. Is there anything we can do to remediate that? Because what I think we kind of miss in all the high, all the big talking about social justice and approaches and lefties and all these kind of things, what I think we always need to think about is, is how would it feel to be a child who was excluded from a particular celebration in our centre? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I actually think if we ask that question more often, because then it's not about who's made the wrong pedagogical decision and who's more progressive than anyone else and who's you know ruining children's childhoods or whatever, but if we just sat and thought, and the example I'll give here, and I won't name any particular service or educator here, um, but there was, there was a service that had a culture of quite extravagant birthday parties for children, um, really you know crazy cakes with lots of cream and all these kind of things. And a colleague of mine walked into a classroom where that was taking place and there was a big you know, table of about 12 children and engaging in this huge, you know, birthday cake. And then to the right of this children was three children with a plate with a cracker and a bit of cheese on it looking completely downcast. And when my colleague, yeah, when my colleague spoke to the person, they said, yeah, that those children have allergies. They can't, you know, they can't have them. And they said, and until this other person had come in, this other person who was a fantastic director and educator just hadn't hadn't seen it from that point of view. She was focused on the experience of the children who were enjoying the birthday cake and thought that, you know what, I, I've planned for um, the children who can't do it. But then these children were looking completely morose and glum and it hadn't been until my person, until my, this colleague had pointed out how would it feel to be that child in that situation that they'd gone, oh, my God, we haven't thought about this deeply enough? And that, yeah. that, that's what I think to come back to. And we can, we can, there's an analogy to that for Christmas. If we, if we engage in these over-the-top celebrations, you know, who that we, not, we don't necessarily see because we're focused on who's winning out of this arrangement. How to feel to be a child who is not involved in those celebrations, or, um, or you know, or can't be involved, or I just think if we ask that question more often, I think we'll find where that we might be guided towards not necessarily doing things, you know, not necessarily stopping things, but at least thinking: is there a way we can make this less overwhelming? Is there a way we can balance it with other things? But that, you know. You know, that that to me is where social justice sort of hits the road, which is we want to try and think about the experience of people um, who are experiencing things in a different way than ourselves and then trying as best we can as, as crazy, um, you know, uh, humans who are doing the best we can to make good decisions. I think that, you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's the best way we can approach that. For sure. Look, one of the um, things that I think that um, every service should have is a celebrations policy. What do you think about that? What would you have in one? Mm, I don't know if I'd have it as a policy, Lisa. I'd, Lisa, I'd maybe have it in maybe a service philosophy. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You, you, look, you'd probably easily convince me. I'd be interested to hear your your reasons for why you think there should be a policy. Okay, I think there should be a policy because it's only when there's policies that explain why we do what we do that everyone in the service can come on board, right, including parents. So if you give parents your celebrations policy at the beginning of the year, I always remember something I learnt very early on that 
anger is caused by unmet expectations. So if your service has decided not to celebrate Christmas, for example, and towards Christmas time, parents are going, what's happening here? Why isn't there any, you know, glitter everywhere? Then, um, you know, they can get angry. Whereas if you've, and you know, brought everyone on board in the process of developing a policy and then, um, uh, you know, you distribute that policy at the beginning of each year, then everyone knows exactly where the service is standing on, on you know, certain celebrations and why they're standing on those celebrations. So I think in a celebrations policy, you should have a why you have this policy, what you're trying to get out of it. I think you should have um, those celebrations that you will celebrate and those that, you know, will, will not darken your doorsteps. And I think that doing that at the beginning means everyone has the chance to have that critical discussion before the policy's drawn up. Mm, I think, yeah. Look, I think, I, I don't know whether that's something that could be covered in a service philosophy or something. I think... But the process of getting people on board, but then the most important part of that, it means is that making that clear to families, um, you know, as and and children as they start, because exactly right, it, it's pe- people have a right to complain if they weren't if if the approach, particular approach wasn't explained to them. And I talk about this. Um, I've I've talked with educators about this who try and embody social justice principles in a whole variety of ways, but don't have that in their philosophy and don't talk to families about it. So, you know, families. There's a point. So, you know, let's, for example, say we have educators and supporting children to engage in advocacy around, you know, young refugee children. You know, families may have a right to be upset if that's not mentioned anywhere in, in, um, you know, philosophy or approach or whatever. Um, But that process of making that clear is really important Um, because I think. Families can then make the choice, and and I, I think this is a more more and more difficult discussion as we become more and more obsessed with occupancy and driving occupancy and getting families through the door and basically doing whatever we can to please families. So you know we get an extra um, you know five days occupancy across the week. That we need to be comfortable with saying this is the service we are. This is how we operate. It may not be for you, and. If, if, if a yeah, service think, takes a stand um, of any kind... I like the way Anthony um, Saman puts that, which is pick a line. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Your service yeah. needs to pick a line. If you take, if you choose to take a stand on any issue, by definition, there will be families out there that disagree with you. So you have to kind of own that and go, well, we may as well, you know, th- this is what we believe in and this is what we think is important about children and their learning. Um, not everyone will agree with us. We entirely respect that and we're not going to misrepresent the way we operate at the start. Um, yeah, so I think yeah. we may disagree about whether it needs to be a formal policy or not, but absolutely, I think it needs to be documented and needs to be explained and, and articulated to, to children For and sure. families as they arrive. Okay, so look, let me ask you two questions in one. What is one celebration that you think has got no place in services and one that you think is an absolute must? Hmm. <sighs> Can I do the one that's a must first, so we can? Yep. I'll yep. try because I can think. I, I can think positively because remember, I, I I always try and avoid outright bans, but I am going to answer that question. Um, I think uh, Children's Week should be celebrated in every service. So, but 
it's celebrated in a meaningful way. So the Children's Week was set up. A part of one of the reasons it was initially set up way back in nineteen, uh, the very early 1990s was to raise awareness for the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Now, what's happened over the last... Uh, I think we talked about this in probably one of our earliest podcasts. Yeah. Um, is yep. it, it's, it's degenerated into bouncy castles and pyjama well, days and in, crazy in hair ca- day. Canberra, it has, it has an across... Uh, I think I've said that to you. It's not across the, <laughs> the country... Yeah, I we think d- we tend to ignore it very successfully mm. in New South Wales. Well, I think we well there's got to be a fine line between turning it into a simplified version and ignoring it. But I think actually using that as a way of thinking, how can we actually share the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child with children, with families, and actually raise awareness for the importance of children's rights? Maybe, you know, take on things like smacking of children, um, you know, doing some advocacy around that, you know, or, or, you know, doing info nights on, you know, whatever the theme of the topic is. That, to me, is something that is meaningful for the children and the community you're working with and is something that educators surely, you know, can get involved on. We always talk about how focused we are on children's rights, but we have have this week uh, in the year where we can actually, you know, wrap a whole bunch of things around it. Yep, for sure. Yeah. And do, do you have any idea of what you think shouldn't be done? I do think, well, can we take Melbourne Cup as red? Because I think we both agree yeah. as that yeah. we've just sort of gone yeah. through that process. And if there's, you know, anyone doesn't understand our reasonings for that, I think we've run out of time. But, that, that, you know, it just I, I, I honestly, that one flummoxes me. The other one for me is just Halloween. I just, I... This is again another story. I will not name the service, but I uh, I visited a service that celebrated Halloween, and children arrived in the morning to find the assistant director of the centre lying down with a chalk mark around her, and the children had to guess who had murdered this person. And the amount oh, of no. I, so again, this was people going, "Let's have some fun." There was just no thinking about how potentially re-traumatizing that might be for particular children that may have actually experienced significant violence in their lives before. Children that may be scared by some of the decorations that were hung up because, again, this was something that has come from adults. So adults were interested in doing this. And I, I cannot stand Halloween. But, you know, adults, if you love it, go for it. If you want to do it with your children and families outside an early childhood centre, go for it. There is no, in my view, there is just no place for it in early childhood and what are children learning about it? And, and an Americanization of a pagan English festival that is purely around horror and fear, where we are meant to be working with children to develop, you know, a sense of security, a sense of identity, where they are safe, that they should feel safe to be with us. So again, this is a classic example of one that for the dominant privileged children who totally fine being scared but what about for the child who has experienced trauma in their lives that we are comfortable bringing in with no critical reflection with no discussion with no thinking about what this might mean for children you know objects that may be entirely scary and 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 actually re-traumatize children that to me no place in services for me so are you going to ask me those questions liam absolutely lisa so one celebration you think we absolutely have to do and one that uh, needs to be stri- stricken from the record. Okay. <clears throat> I actually think that the religious ones need to be struck from the record, partially because of that thing you said about who do they include and who do they exclude. I think there's so many different religions in Australia that we need to exclude. Yeah, We need to be really careful about who we're including and who we're excluding in each of them. I also think that Mother's Day and Father's Day need to be excluded, not just because not everyone has a mother's mother, you know, or a father, but because primarily they're around 
consumerism and they're around cultural um, things where often it's the mothers who have to do, you know, who have to set up the Mother's Day stall or things like that. So I think that, you know, give everyone a proper Mother's and Father's Day celebration by giving them a break from having to do any additional work. <laughs> Absolutely. This, this is a classic example for me of the point I made earlier. I'm taking over the <coughs> so you can enjoy a nice cough suffering through the dust in Sydney as we record this on Tuesday night. Um this is a classic example for me of this. Why is this the sector's responsibility? When did the early education sector decide, do you know what? We'll take carriage of Mother's Day and Father's Day. Don't you worry about it, parents. I did not sign up to that agreement. I'm a father myself. I do not expect any educational institution my children go to to be running that show for me. That is a classic example of one. that That's the family's responsibility. If your family wants to do Mother's Day or Father's Day, knock yourselves out. Have a wonderful time. And it's time. so gendered and the way it's done in centres is so gendered. I'm sure we've spoken on the podcast about, you know, the, the ones where mothers come in and are all given, you know, um, manicures and pedicures and makeup sessions by the children. And I just think, oh, this is so gendered and it so reinforces dominant gender norms that I think it needs to go. The one that I do think needs to be celebrated, and again, um, you know, I'm showing my leftist things here, but... Um, I think Invasion Day needs to be recognised in every centre because it's it happened on the soil where the centres are. I yeah, that's the most absolutely easiest way to say it. Yeah, I think, and I think as an overall point for this discussion is. Um, you know, one of the reasons I didn't mention things like NADOC week and um, Sorry Day and those kind of things is I don't see those as celebration. So they're kind of separate for me as a discussion. But those are things that absolutely um, there are ways of engaging and exploring those those ideas with children and with educators as teams that are hugely important. And these are because I mean, this is this is the land we're on. It is Aboriginal land that is, you know, has, has been. Um, and always will be, and that that's an entirely separate discussion for me around these you know socially constructed sort of celebrations we've come up with. I, I think we have an obligation to support children or at least ourselves to engage with these topics. So you know the question of whether we do or don't do these as celebrations to me is missing the point. They're not celebrations for me. They're kind of they are you know acknowledgments of the uh, you know the work we need to do to do to um, you know close the gap and embed Indigenous perspectives. So. Um, does that kind of make sense? I actually, they're not celebrations for me. They're kind of like, you know, mandatory, you know, days where we need to at least be thinking about these issues. Well, I think I think they are celebrations in some ways. You know, they're yeah, they're mm. acknowledgements of of things that have happened. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I think, okay, do you think we've annoyed pretty much everyone across the board? That was kind of the topic. Oh, look, for... I'm, I'm sure that, you know, Alan Jones will be on the phone from the moment we hang up and say, you know, what are you teaching our young children? <laughs> I can't wait to hear from him. We'll have to invite him onto the podcast. What a, what a, wonder, what a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> All right. Well, we, you, you and I have bantered for far enough on this topic, Lisa, so I think we're, um, we're going to throw now to an interview you uh, conducted with Leanne. It was so much fun, Liam. I'd like to do that more often. Without me? Uh, no, no, no. I just mean when one of us can't, you know, join in, just doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone is a nice way of doing it. And I didn't talk. I just let her talk and ask questions. 
like a journalist or something. Oh, well done, yeah. Lisa. Well, I, I've listened to it. It's a great little chat, but um, I'm just going to be impressed. So when you talked with me, you talked for about 50 minutes. You only talked for 15 minutes for Leanne. So <laughs> I just, I, I, I know what that means. That's all good. So we'll be. Just don't let her know. Don't of course let her not. Know. <laughs> so we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back with Lisa chatting with Leanne about celebrations in early education centres. We'll be right back. Are you listening to our Exploring the NQS series? If you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, you're not only helping to keep the show going, you'll also get access to an extra podcast where I explore every element of the national quality standard one at a time. It's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the NQS, uh, consider different perspectives and grow your own professional development. Each episode is only 15 minutes. Just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as $1 a month. All right, back to the show. Now, we've decided to do something a bit sneaky here. Because Leanne couldn't actually join Liam and I when we're recording this episode, I decided to interview her before the episode and then by the magic of technology, we could integrate that with the actual episode. Isn't that amazing, Leanne? It's amazing, but I'm also terrified, Lisa Bryant. This is frightening. Why? Because I'm such a hard-hitting journalist and I'm going to ask you the hard questions and force you to answer them or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and maybe I won't have very good answers. So just... <laughs> you always have good answers. Yeah, don't know about that. But anyway, let's, let's give it a red-hot go, shall we? <laughs> we shall. So, look, what I wanted to ask is imagine you are currently a leader of an early education and care service or even a CEO of multiple ones, which is a role that you've had before. Would you encourage or discourage the services from celebrating events such as, you know, like Christmas Day or Easter or Melbourne Cup, Anzac Day, Eid, Holly, Australia Day, preschool graduations, Halloween, you know, whatever celebrations you can think of. Would you encourage or discourage them? Well, there's there's particular things that you mentioned within there that are that are more comfortable for me than than others. And I, I will sort of name a couple of those in a moment the, and the reason why I feel less comfortable about them. But I think in terms of the celebrations that uh, happen in an early childhood setting and the, the, what, what happens in those celebrations, are very, they're very important things for that community. And so from my perspective, if I was a leader of an early childhood setting or if I was, uh, as you said, a CEO of, a, of multiple um, settings, I would always consider what happens in that community. What what are the well, what's the the profile of that community, and what does that community look like, and what is their perspective on the celebrations that they observe within their own communities, and how does that look in the early childhood setting, and also uh, specifically, I suppose the children. You know, what what are the what are the children? What are the children celebrating at home, and uh, what is it that happens in an early childhood setting that can expand their thinking or that can reflect uh, their own community values and uh, religious celebrations. So to me, it's really being evaluative and analytical about what's already going on in that community and then thinking about um, how you observe those things and also being sensitive to uh, the different 
um, backgrounds that children come from in terms of their socioeconomic backgrounds and the way that they experience some of those celebrations. So in a way, I've given you a whole bunch of words that would probably be considered <laughs> to be, um, you know, the, um, what is it, the kind of pathetic left-wing view of, of celebrations. But I, I just think it's all about that community and what's going on in the community. But there are some things that I'll draw the line at. Look, I get you absolutely, but I'm an educator that's just come into your office and said, so are we going to do Christmas this year? Scratching my head. What are you going to tell me? Because if you give me all those words, I'm going to get a headache. And I'm going to go back to my room and say, I don't know what she's on about. I don't know whether we're doing it or not. Um, Look, this is true, but I don't actually think that that person would scratch their head and have a headache because I think that they would be they would completely understand exactly what I said. But I don't think that that would actually happen, Lisa, because this conversation would have happened uh, at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year or whenever it needs to happen around those sorts of celebrations and that would be taken to a staff meeting. So it's not going to happen where someone walks through the door of my office and says, are we going to have Christmas? Sorry for that. (laughs) Because it's a collective and we would work on we would have already worked it out (laughs) yeah and we would we would look at our we would also consider um you know culturally what happens within our center we'd also consider our own views and biases around that so i yeah so i i think depending on what the community was doing are we celebrating christmas look i love a bit of christmas myself (laughs) i think it's a wonderful time of the year um but equally, I have seen uh, beautiful celebrations around other other religious um, observances, and I've seen wonderful celebrations around some of the projects that children have done that are just like Christmas to me. So, you know, I think there's a whole range of ways of going about it. Okay, so let me just live up to my hard-hitting journalist um, uh, thing for one minute and I'll ask you one question and um, then I'll go back to an easier question. Imagine that the services that you were CEO of were in, say, the eastern suburbs of Sydney and a lot of children's um, families were getting very interested in parts of Melbourne Cup, like um, wearing of fascinators and the clothes and the dressing up of it. How how would you respond? what would you do around that one? Would you reinforce that or would you try and give other perspectives? Um, Well, I guess this is where I draw the line on being collective and collegial. (laughs) 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 And I know that I'm going to be really disliked about this, but I draw the line on anything that has to do with gambling, animal cruelty and objectification of children. Ah, so you like celebrations as long as they fit in with your moral compass. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so well, Christmas, I, I like okay, so... Christmas, then, you know, like if we look at the negatives of Christmas, there's, you know, um, uh, Christianity and, you know, protection of children haven't always gone hand in hand. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And but I think a whole range of those those particular um, religious observances could could um, come under the same construct as well. I I think we you know we do know that. But uh, isn't Christmas about tinsel? 
<laughs> in my Christmas, certainly. Is. I, thought was, I thought it was about Santa's cave. Um, it's about capitalism and tinfoil, and both of them are really good right. things. The capitalist celebration. Uh, well, can I just go back to the thing about the moral compass? And I, yeah. I do. I know, you know, I'm being quite flexible here. I guess that's the the issue. But I, I just, I feel like where there are particular uh, there are there are particular beings in the world that are marginalised by those celebrations themselves. Then I I I think that's where I feel really uncomfortable, and I just do not like anything to do with with gambling and with poor animals being being <laughs> you know made to do things so that humans can have a good time. I just don't like it. Yeah, those but, turkeys that get cooked for Christmas, that's a hard ask, well, isn't it? That, it is. It's <laughs> but it, I, I think, you know, I'm probably not saying all the, the right sort of early childhood um, philosophical things that would be appropriate. No, but, but I'm here, asking but I, you as a, you know, like, just as another member of the sector, not as someone representing the sector. Yeah. Can I, I just ask you one more thing? Um, like, other than your moral compass, how else would you decide what should be in and what should be out? You've said, you know, what's important in that community, and I think that would often, often comes up, like people often say, well, you know, everyone in our community, we're really into racehorses because we breed them here, so therefore Melbourne Cup's important. So what, you know, like other than what's important to the community, what else would you lean on to decide what should be in or what should be out? Well, I think the, I think religious observances are actually a really, you know, they're very important to some communities. So I think that that's probably the starting point, despite what I might believe in or not believe in, because <clears throat> I think that's yeah. foundational for for many people. So that would, I guess, be my starting point. And then there are those other celebrations. I'm trying to think what they are. Oh, of course, you know, um, Father's Day and Mother's Day, and I'd probably take a um, a less constructed view of those those days and consider that they were family days. And I think it's always the um, it it is always to me a process of of talking with the team and talking with the community. So it's an opportunity, I suppose, to explore themes around what religion means to some people and what it doesn't mean to other people and families as well and what families look like. So it's a it's a learning opportunity. But there's one thing that I would, would never get involved in and that Which is, is a graduation ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? As someone who's getting your PhD soon, I thought you'd be all for graduation. Oh, I, I love them. I think they're beautiful. I was at one of my children's graduations through the week. I think oh, they're congratulations. amazing. Yeah, I think they're incredible. And I, I've i been at many wonderful um, TAFE graduations, university um, graduations, and I think that they're really important and exciting times. I think that the people who are involved in them are cognizant of what has been involved in um, in working towards that, and I guess that's a a 
there's a tradition that's associated with uh, working towards that and achieving it. And you could sort of say, well, children have worked towards the conclusion of their, their uh, early childhood life, but I do see it differently, definitely. Fair enough. I don't think I'd be, or Liam will be disagreeing with you on that <laughs> one. So thank you for doing this little interview within a podcast and it'll be interesting to see when you listen to the whole thing whether Liam and I have agreed with your points or disagree. Exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll listen carefully and don't listen too much. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> yes, we will. We always do. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Lisa. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time. Sorry, as I was reading it back today, the other point I thought I would make um, with this particular idea uh, it is literally, Lisa, my brain has literally just melted on me and I've forgotten the additional point <laughs> we're going to, uh, we're going well, to make.